It's April 2023. Welcome to Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month, we recap some of the latest breaking news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Ryan Hunt, reporting with BCMA co-anchor Leah Patterson. Join us as we explore the latest Muse News. Over to you, Leah. Thank you, Ryan. Organization looking for permanent home to house Terry Fox collection. The Terry Fox Center is looking for a permanent home to house more than 1,000 artifacts connected to Terry Fox and his legacy. The collection is currently in storage and has temporarily been moved around the country to display items connected to the inspirational Canadian. The goal is to find a permanent home by 2030, the 50th anniversary of the Marathon of Hope. The collection includes the camper van Fox used for the entirety of his run, the jug of water collected from the Atlantic Ocean, and a variety of shoes and prosthetics. Fox ran 5,373 kilometers, and the van was used for the entirety of the run. The center is looking for locations in Port Coquitlam, downtown Vancouver, and potentially Victoria. Reed and the Terry Fox Center have started meetings with the BC government about financial support. In these situations, organizations often are required to do fundraising to cover costs with a permanent space, but the Terry Fox Center is concerned about making money that would go to cancer research. To date, the Terry Fox Foundation has raised more than $850 million primarily for cancer research. The provincial government will be part of an early conversation with the Royal BC Museum and the BC Sports Hall of Fame. The Sports Hall of Fame is located at BC Place, which is overseen by the province through PAVCO, the BC Pavilion Corporation. Quote, this could be a wonderful place for folks to gather and reflect on the work Terry did. The Terry Fox Foundation has been incredibly successful to raise funds for cancer research, and this is part of the story, end quote, said BC Tourism Minister Lana Popham. Penticton Art Galleries, full funding restored. Full operational funding was restored on Monday for the Penticton Art Gallery, following an impassioned plea from curator Paul Crawford. Council voted 5-2 in favor of raising the gallery's operational funding for 2023 from $55,000 to $125,000. The motion to do so was put forward by Councillor James Miller, who suggested $125,000 is a bargain for the annual operation of a local art gallery. Quote, Unequivocally, staff followed the grant administration procedure perfectly, but I think it ignored maybe the human element that's involved, said Miller. Sparks flew in the council chambers on Monday, May 3rd, as curator of the Penticton Art Gallery made an impassioned plea for more operational funding. But it's about much more than just money, said Paul Crawford. Quote, it's about values. It's about what's important to our community, he said at the start of a one-hour back-and-forth with City Council, during which he was warned several times against being critical of staff and going off-topic. Quote, The core funding is what allows us to open the doors in January and keep them open until December 31st, explained Crawford, who employs six other full-time staff on an annual budget of $800,000 that's funded heavily by outside grants. Quote, You get so much in return on that investment that I think it's the crux of this thing. Whistler Museum Inc.'s land transfer launches fundraising portal for new building. In a move that has been years in the making, the new Whistler Museum building is one step closer to becoming a reality following the signing of a land transfer agreement between the Resort Municipality of Whistler and the Whistler Museum and Archives Society, or the WMAS. 
With the land officially secured, the WMAS is beginning fundraising efforts to construct the new facility. The transferred land is at the museum's current location on a portion of Lot 20 at 4333 Main Street, adjacent to Florence Peterson Park and the Whistler Public Library. The new building will replace the semi-permanent conjoined trailers that the museum has operated out of since 2009. Once complete, the two-story, 927-square-meter building, more than three times the size of the current facility, will include display areas, a foyer, a reception desk, and a gift shop that will serve as a gathering place for groups and events. The addition of a third story is a possibility should the museum need to expand in the future. According to Whistler Museum Curator and Executive Director Brad Nichols, the new building is crucial as archival materials have built up over the years, resulting in space limitations. The expanded space will help provide a spot for record-keeping long into the future. In November of 2021, the Museum Society received a cost estimate of $7,130,987 to construct and equip the proposed building. With rising construction costs, there is a need for more significant contingency funding, so the museum has set a fundraising goal of $9 million. For WMAS to keep the transferred land, it must raise 80% of the necessary capital funds within six years, by December 31st, 2028, or the RMOW will revoke the lease. As it currently stands, the museum needs just under $6 million to complete the project. Once some capital is acquired, the museum hopes to get additional funds from other levels of government to cover a portion of the project's costs. Now that the land transfer agreement is signed, the new building is eligible for the Canada Cultural Spaces Fund, which could provide significant funding for the museum. Councillor Jeff Merle, who sits as the RMOW's representative on the WMAS, said that partly because of the transferred land represents significant in-kind support to the museum, the municipality will not use any money from its one-time Growing Communities Fund or from the Resort Municipality Initiative funding to back the project. Construction of the new building will start once the Museum Society raises sufficient funds and takes down the existing building. The museum estimates fundraising will take three to five years and construction between 12 and 18 months. The earliest anticipated opening date for the new facility is 2027, and a temporary artifact storage location will be required in the meantime. People can donate to the project at thewhistlermuseum.org slash new museum. The donations will be managed by the Whistler Community Foundation's new fund dedicated specifically to the building's construction, which is separate from the foundation's existing WMAS support fund for the museum's operations. Learn more at whistlerfoundation.com. A sawmill storage house in southeastern BC was home to North America's first gardwara, researcher says. A researcher in BC says that the first Sikh temple in North America was likely established at the province's East Kootenai region. Colleen Palumbo, who studied old census records as part of her research, says the Gudwara was established in a repurposed storage house at a sawmill in Golden, BC around 1905. Palumbo has researched the Gudwara's history since retiring as executive director of the Golden Museum and Archives two years ago. Her research is part of a Punjabi Canadian Legacy Project program to support local museums' research on Sikh Canadian history, and her findings were published in the Golden Museum's website in February. 
They are featured in the Hack the History traveling exhibit set up by PCLP, a program co-organized by the University of Fraser Valley and the Royal BC Museum. Palumbo estimates about a dozen sick men in Punjab's forestry industry came to Golden, a community in the Rockies about 200 kilometers west of Calgary, around 1902, to work at the Columbia River Lumber Company sawmill. The Gudwara was torn down in 1927 after the sawmill closed, Palumbo said, and it would be many decades before the town's sick community would come together to have another temple. Palumbo says the Gudwara was a safe haven for early sick immigrants with limited English proficiency during a time of strong anti-Asian racism. She points to the federal government's implementation of a South Asian head tax from 1908 to 1919, meant to discourage immigrants from bringing their wives and children to Canada. Satwinder Kaur Baines, director of the University of Fraser Valley's South Asian Studies Institute, says racism has also translated into challenges to preserve Sikh history in Canada. She says the colonial institutions didn't value artifacts of South Asian history as much of those of white Canadian history, and Sikh immigrants did not see the importance of keeping records of their lives in Canada. Quote, the laws of the land were very racist, and people didn't really think they would live here for very long, said Baines, who is sick. Perhaps this is why the records are so lean and there are no photographs here. Buster, a dinosaur unique to BC, comes to life in a new exhibit. Buster the dinosaur was about the size of a sheep with a long lizard tail and big skull with a short, sharp parrot-like beak and a long curving jawbone. It was a plant eater, probably quite bashful, and lived in burrows or dens among the redwoods and lush fern forests of northern British Columbia about 67 million years ago. Buster is the first dinosaur species of its kind ever discovered, and unique to BC. A relative of the Triceratops, but without the long horns and skull frill, says Victoria Arbor, curator of paleontology at the Royal British Columbia Museum. Buster is the star of the museum's newest attraction, Dinosaurs of BC, an exhibit curated and designed by museum staff that opened this week. It includes fossils from Vancouver Island and the BC interior, including massive footprints found along riverbanks in the Tumbler Ridge area and inside coal mines in southern BC. Buster will be joined in June by Sue, the T-Rex from the Field Museum in Chicago, it was found in 1990 in South Dakota and is the most complete skeleton of its kind ever discovered. Buster was brought to life from a shoebox of bones collected in 1971 by retired geologist Ken Larson, who happened upon the fossils while prospecting for minerals along a spur of abandoned railway tracks on the Sustut River between Smithers and Dees Lake. Those bones turned out to be some of the very first dinosaur fossils that had ever been found in British Columbia that we know of, said Arbor. It was later determined to be a species new to science. There were six bones to work with, including parts of the shoulder, arm, and leg, and two articulated toes on Buster's hind leg. Arbor decided it was likely a perfectly preserved skeleton blown apart during construction of the railway, decades before the bones were discovered. Return visits to the site didn't produce any more bones, but did reveal part of a fossilized turtle and dozens of leaves. Researchers analyzed pollen fossils to determine that Bustard lived there 67 million years ago. Arbor first saw Buster's fossils in 2005 as an undergrad at Dalhousie University, eventually sent them to the Royal BC Museum, and was reunited with Buster in 2018 when she started work as curator of paleontology at the museum.
Arbor and David Evans of the Royal Ontario Museum examined Buster's scant remains during extensive research in 2019, comparing bones of closer relatives like the Triceratops to determine he was related, but a separate species never seen before. Buster was officially proclaimed as Ferrosaurus sustensis, which means iron lizard from the Sestet River. With an incomplete skeleton, the challenge was to determine what Buster would look like when it roamed northern BC. Arbor's team developed an outline using the bones they had, roughly determining the shape and size, then brought in renowned Calgary-based paleo artist Brian Cooley, whose dinosaur recreation work appears in the Royal Tyrell Museum in Alberta and the pages of National Geographic. Arbor said complete skeletons are available from some of Buster's closest relatives, Leptoceratops, Montanoceratops, and Saracenops, which allowed her to fill in some of the missing pieces, such as the shape of the skull and the length of the tail. Cooley created a miniature version first, and then a full-scale model, using Buster's skeletal measurements and those of other similar species to create steel armature. Layers of clay were added and sculpted to create wrinkles and scales. Buster's colors were guesswork, said Arbor, but the patterns are loosely based on the modern caiman lizard. She said Cooley took inspiration from modern animals that need to camouflage themselves from predators, with brighter areas to attract mates. The Sestet Basin, where Buster was discovered, is essentially unexplored, said Arbor. An expedition is planned in July. The dinosaur fossil record has not been extensively documented in BC, as in Alberta, where thousands of discoveries have been made. Arbor said finding dinosaur bones in BC is no easy task given the province's rough forest-covered and mountainous terrain, unlike the extensive prairie, deserts, and badlands of Alberta, Montana, and New Mexico. Finding dinosaurs in British Columbia means bushwhacking along rivers, hiring jet boats, or in the case of our fieldwork, getting dropped off by helicopter. But Arbor said the advantages of hunting fossils here is that dinosaurs lived in BC over a long period of geological time, which is unique in Canada. In Alberta, dinosaur bones are mostly from the past 20 million years, but in BC there are dinosaur fossils as old as 145 million years to 68 million years, almost the entirety of the Cretaceous period, when mountains and sea levels were rising, new types of plants were forming, and the extinction events that wiped out most of the dinosaurs started to happen. Arbor said the Peace region of northeastern BC is another hotspot for dinosaur fossils. In fact, more dinosaur footprints are found there than anywhere else in Canada. The series of footprints were discovered on a vertical cliff face of the mine. It was impossible to physically collect the footprint specimens, so workers used a drone to photograph the tracks, and technology was used to turn the tracks into 3D digital models. With 3D printing and other fabrication technologies, we can make physical copies, said Arbor, adding the tracks are a significant discovery because no sauropod fossils or footprints had ever been found in Canada. Arbor said long stretches of Vancouver Island's east coast, from Duncan to Campbell River, are rich in marine fossils deposited during the Cretaceous period, including coiled ammonites, clams, snails, fish, sharks, and marine reptiles. She said the museum has one bone from the island traced to a dinosaur, a tailbone from an ostrich-like feathered creature called Ornithomimus. I'm sure there are other dinosaur discoveries to be made on the island if we look in the right places, said Arbor, adding that the museum is grateful for donations and reports from fossil hunters. 
BC pledges 10 million funding boost for Chinese Canadian Museum ahead of opening. Vancouver's Chinese Canadian Museum will open its doors on July 1st, on the 100th anniversary of racist legislation known as the Chinese Exclusion Act, after the province pledged an additional $10 million in funding. Lana Popham, Minister of Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sports, said the investment not only recognizes the contributions of Chinese Canadian communities, but will also help revitalize Chinatown, a beloved part of Vancouver. The Chinese Canadian Museum will be located in the Wingsang Building on East Pender Street, one of the oldest buildings in Chinatown. Melissa Carmen Lee, CEO of the museum, says its opening will be a significant milestone for Chinese communities across Canada, and it will serve as a hub where people can learn more about the community's intangible heritage. The new funding, which brings the province's total spending on the museum to more than $48.5 million, will cover renovations and operating costs. Grace Wong, a board member of the museum, says that by 2025, the building will not operate just as a museum. It will also be transformed into an educational space. Now it's time for our regular segment, Who's News on Muse News. This segment features your submitted staffing changes from across the province. Shailena Sarazen moves into a new role at the Exploration Place. Shailena has been with the Exploration Place since March 2021, working in various areas of the programming department. Most recently, as education technician, Shay was delivering virtual and in-person tech-up coding programming in Northern BC in partnership with Science World. Beginning in April, Shay has moved into the Manager of Programming role and will oversee all the museum's educational programs and outreach both inside their building and across Northern BC. The Exploration Place is also so pleased to have Steve Carras return to staff. Steve was the lead gallery interpreter at the Exploration Place from 2006 to 2014 and was a favorite personality among visitors of all ages. Steve left the Exploration Place in 2014 to work at Guest Services Manager at TELUS Spark in Calgary and also spent some time in experience management at Landmark Cinemas Canada. Steve is returning to his roots in Prince George, stepping into the Manager of Visitor Services role at the Exploration Place in April, where he will ensure an exceptional visitor experience. They are thrilled to have him back. Sarah Board joins the Maritime Museum of BC as Volunteer and Visitor Centre Coordinator. Growing up in Victoria, Sarah's love for the ocean began as a child on the beaches of Qualicum. Her parents claim it was very difficult to pry her away. Sarah has a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Victoria and a Master's in Museum Education from the University of British Columbia. She's also a licensed early childhood educator and has a Foundations in Volunteer Management certificate. She has worked in ocean education for over 20 years and has supported volunteers in various capacities throughout that time. Sarah is an avid dancer and supporter of the Victoria performing arts scene. As the Volunteer and Visitor Center Coordinator at the Maritime Museum, Sarah oversees and supports the many valued volunteers and ensures the museum visitors feel welcomed. Congrats to everyone moving into new roles or taking on more responsibilities. You can always share your Who's News with us by emailing bcma at museum.bc.ca. Back to you, Ryan. And now we're joined by special field correspondent, Lorenda Calvert with an update from the Canadian Museum Association's Hill Day in Ottawa. Over to you, Lorenda. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, I am joining live from Ottawa. This is Representative Lorenda Calvert for Muse News BCMA. 30 delegates from across the country have arrived in downtown Ottawa for the Canadian Museums Association Hill Day. 
Now I'm being told that these 30 delegates have arrived downtown Ottawa on behalf of Senator Patricia Bove's retirement from the Canadian Senate. Part of the celebrations here, Ryan, include a reception evening hosted by the Canadian Museum Association where the BCMA will be providing activations in the form of virtual reality. These 30 representatives from across the country, including our BC very own Lynn Safry, Drew Blaney, and Lucy Bell, will be meeting with representatives of Parliament to advocate for our cultural sector. I'm being told that these meetings have been very welcoming, very warm, and very successful. We have high hopes for our advocacy efforts today, and we look forward to reporting back to you later. Thank you so much, Ryan. I'm Lorenda Calvert, reporting live for BCMA News News. Thanks, Lorenda. This has been the April 2023 edition of Muse News. Join us next month for the latest news, happenings, and information from BC museums, galleries, and cultural centers. We'll see you next month for another Muse News.